0: Welcome to the Redeemer podcast. For more information about Redeemer Church, visit makingmuchofjesus.org. We hope you enjoy the talk and invite you to visit us next Sunday at either our 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. service. Amen. It's good to see you. Uh, Please take your Bibles, if you have them, and go to Ecclesiastes chapter 12, beginning in verse 8. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one around you somewhere, a little black hardback version that's yours to keep if you don't own a copy of God's Word. Or you can even take out your phone, your device, and go to esvbible.org. It's esvbible.org, and you can find Ecclesiastes chapter 12. There. Well, today we finish our tour with Solomon through Life Under the Sun. And I really love going through books of the Bible together as, as God's people on Sunday morning. Um, I always feel like uh, every book that we're going through, I always think, oh, this is now my favorite book in the Bible. I thought that with Acts. I thought that with 1 Corinthians. And I'm thinking that again with Ecclesiastes. And my, my hope as we've gone through this for you know past few weeks now is I hope that you've grown to love this book uh, more than you did before. And I hope that you've come to know it more than you did before and to enjoy it more. And I hope that on a supernatural level, that what the Apostle Paul says in Romans 12, I hope that there has been a renewing of your mind about life under the sun. And what we're meant to pursue and what we're meant to value. And really today we hear the concluding words of our brother Solomon. And Solomon, throughout the whole book of Ecclesiastes, he's been calling himself the preacher. The preacher. And so when this preacher in Ecclesiastes, when he says, in conclusion, he means a conclusion. He's not like some preachers that say, and in closing, in 20 minutes go by. But when Solomon says, in conclusion, five verses go by. And so we finish the book of Ecclesiastes today after all the chapters of analysis, all the chapters of investigation and reporting and counseling and consulting about life under the sun. Solomon finished it for us. So let's do as we do every week. Let's stand in honor of the reading of the word of Christ, if you're able, beginning in verse eight of chapter 12. And we'll read through to the end. And if you are looking for a seat, there are a few up, up front. If anyone else comes in and you see people coming in, you people in the back, you back row Baptists, you, <laughs> you, you help them get to the front if, if they need help because I see people in the back, all right? Well, now let's, let's, read, let's read God's word, verse eight. The Spirit says, Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. All is vanity. Besides being wise, the preacher also taught the people knowledge, weighing and studying and arranging many proverbs with great care. The preacher sought to find words of delight, and uprightly he wrote words of truth. The words of the wise are like goads, and like nails, firmly fixed are the collected sayings. They are given by one shepherd. My son, beware of anything beyond these. Of making many books, there is no end, and of much study is a weariness to the flesh. The end of the matter. All has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. Let's pray together. Holy Father, would you help us now to help us to hear the words of this preacher, that whom Solomon, who you breathe through through the power of your Holy Spirit, this word for us. And so Holy Spirit, would you meet us now And would you do a work in our hearts that we don't even imagine? Would you go beyond what we can even ask or think or imagine by the great power of Christ at work in us? And would you give us ears to hear what it is the Spirit is saying to his church? And it's in the mighty name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. You may be seated. You know, I know that in our church, we have a great variety of, of people who public school and, and private school and, and homeschool. And even among our elders, we have that great mix there. And I was public school growing up. And so for some of you that might be like, whoa, no wonder, you know, or whatever. <laughs> but uh, one of the things that I think private schoolers and homeschoolers that you, just, you, you miss, and I think it's okay, is the, the public school lunch. I don't know anywhere else on the planet where you can get chicken fried steak, roll, mashed potatoes and gravy for $1.55. <laughs> that may not exist anymore. It's probably like $7 now because of inflation. But back in my day, it was $1. fifty-five, And I'll never forget this one lunch. I think it's my freshman year in high school. Um, I going through the line, got my chicken fried steak, got my mashed potatoes, got my gravy, got my roll, and I got to pick up my chocolate milk. And it's, you know, that nice white curtain, or carton, and it's got brown, you know, wrap around it. It's got condensation. It's just, at the, you know, that waxy carton, and you open it, and I'm taking a drink, sitting with my buddies, and going, this tastes like strawberry milk for some reason. You taste it, Matt, and Matt grabbed it. And, yeah, that, that tastes weird. That, that tastes like strawberry milk. Let me taste yours. Well, that's chocolate. What's wrong with mine? We look at mine. Oh, it's been expired for two weeks. No wonder. <laughs> ever since then, I have had a hypersensitivity to expiration dates. <laughs> and so at our house, if we get that lunch meat and it's on the date, you know, sell by, I'm like, that means eat by to me. I'm like, we're done. And I asked my wife, she says, well, smell it. I'm like, I don't know. It smells like lunch meat. Is it slimy? It's always slimy. I, I, don't, I don't know. <laughs> Milk on the day of, dump it, and so I've found, just through meeting some of you and knowing many of you, there are really many cancelable expiration dates. Either we abide by them, like the good Lord intended, or you just view them as some kind of suggestion. And like Kevin, our, one of our pastors, he just thinks they're just open-ended suggestions. He was eating three-week-old barbecue meat in the fridge about at the church office. It's so like, Kevin, we're going to have to take you to the hospital. You should not be eating that. So, either you abide by these things or you really just don't care what they say. But Solomon tells us, he tells us in verse 8 everything's expiring. Look at verse 8 again vanity of vanities. This is the Hebrew word havel, which means vapor, steam, expiring, leaving. Expiring, expiring, says the preacher. Everything's expiring, everything's fleeting, everything's leaving. And this is really the famous phrase throughout the entire book, repeated 30 some odd times about things are meaningless, things are vanishing, things are vapor. And this is how he begins the book. His very first words through his sermon, verse 1 of chapter 1 is introduction, then verse 2 is he's beginning his sermon. And he begins with vanity of vanity, says the preacher, everything is vanity. And then he ends with, he's beginning his conclusion with the exact same thing, bookending it for us. So the way he starts is the way he ends, and that is meant to make us sit back and go. This is what he's trying to communicate to us, that this is life. Everything's vanishing. And so in another level, this is meant to make us sit back and go, do I believe him? Do I really believe what he said in chapter 1, verse 2? And then now through all of the guts of the book, do I agree with what he's saying in chapter 12, verse 8? that everything really is vanishing, that everything really is disappearing. Do you agree with Solomon? Do you agree with his analysis of life under the sun, that the wisest man who ever lived outside of Jesus, are are you comfortable with disagreeing with him that this is what he says life under the sun is like? And go even further, do do you agree with God who master-planned our community called the universe, that now that sin has entered the world, that vanity of vanities, all is vanity, everything is fleeting. This is life under the sun. All of, and we, We've seen throughout the whole book, Solomon says, look, all of our lives are going to expire. We're all going to die. And under the sun, just not even thinking about eternity, so do our pets. So what's the big deal? Fido's going to go and we're going to go. We lean on money so much, Solomon tells us, but then in the end, it, it goes quicker than it came. We put so much expectation in our possessions and what we can buy, and, and then a new model comes out. He tells us, look, good things happen to wicked people. And seemingly evil things happen to God-fearing people. And that's why Solomon says we can't let that control, we can't let that ruin what we can enjoy. What we cannot control, we should not let ruin what we can enjoy. So he says we should enjoy life under the sun, as we saw last week. Because these moments are fleeting. Our, our marriages are, are fleeting. The days are getting less and less and less, and then they're gone. We get old and then we die. It's over. Our children, two-year-olds, three-year-olds, and then they're graduating college before we know it. Our coffee's getting cold. Our our steak is being served medium, and everything's just vanishing. (laughs) These moments, he says, are just literally disappearing before our eyes. So what do we do? What does Solomon say? Verse 9. Besides being wise, the preacher, that's what he's been calling himself, the preacher, Solomon says, also taught the people knowledge weighing and studying and arranging many proverbs with great care. So whatever you think of the book of Ecclesiastes, this is not the rant of some angry old man. Look what he said. Weighing, studying, arranging. This isn't even emo poetry from a rich urban Israelite. This is Solomon. He carefully calculated, analyzed, and weighed, and thought about everything he said in Ecclesiastes. From chapter 1 to 12, nothing was out of source. Nothing was out of balance. He analyzed and thought carefully about everything he said. Also in Proverbs, also in Song of Solomon. And that's why he says in verse 10, the preacher sought to find words, look at how he describes these words, of delight. And uprightly, he wrote words of truth. Solomon says, I was after words of Delight. This book, he says, is delightful. Now, I was talking with a few people last week, and Mandy Odom out in the lobby, and she expressed the same thing. This book didn't really start out this way, she said. At first, it was kind of like, oh, man, this is heavy. This is like right in your face. But the way that this book ended, it was filled with delight and filled with calls to enjoyment. This book did start out in your face, convicting, but by the end, it became delightful. Because Solomon is showing us what the great C.S. Lewis said, that we are content making mud pies in the slums, but when a holiday at the beach is offered to us. Solomon has been redirecting our delights. He's been pointing us to where we can find ultimate, lasting joy, because I think one of the chief problems in our lives under the sun is that we tend to over-delight in what is vanishing, and we under-delight in what is forever. We tend to over-delight in what is fleeting, and we under-delight in what is eternal. It's not wrong to delight in things under the sun. It's wrong to over-delight in them. It's not wrong to delight in movies and romance and cars and and hobbies. The problem is that we, we mismanage them. We demand too much of them. We demand too much of created things and these gifts, and then we corrupt them, we corrode them, then we ruin them. Do you remember how the Bible describes the, the first sin that entered into the created world? In Genesis 3, it's like, Genesis 3 is kind of like the black box of the crash of mankind. that so we can look into the data of Genesis 3 and see what happened here. How did it all unfold? Remember, Eve was tempted by the serpent to eat the fruit of that forbidden tree. She was going to crossed the boundaries that God had laid out and decreed for her and Adam's delight. And Moses writes in Genesis 3, listen to what he says. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and it was a delight to the eyes. It was a delight to the eyes. The tree was desired to make one wise. She took of its fruit and ate, also gave some to her husband who was with her. So Moses says, Eve took of that fruit because she saw it was a delight. And Solomon says, I've given you words of delight. So much of Christianity now is a battle for what we delight in. It is a redirecting and a reconstituting and a changing of our palate to see what we should really be enjoying in. Because under the sun, sin is basically a mismanagement of our delights. And Solomon knows that firsthand. He, all the things he showed us, he experienced under the sun. And he's been guiding us throughout this book through a tangled web of our delights, trying to put them in the, in the proper place. And this isn't just the work of Ecclesiastes. This is the work of the Holy Spirit throughout the entire scriptures. Because the Bible, the, Solomon just said, the Spirit just told us in verse 10, these are words of Delight. Meant to be more delightful, a superseding delight to all the things that moth and rust will destroy, to all the fleeting delights under the sun. Because not one dot, not one letter will pass away. Flowers may fade, but the word of the Lord, what? Stands forever. The Bible is a book of delightful words, revealing to us under the sun who God is for us. What God has done for us, what God is doing for us, and what God will do for us. So, Psalm and the scriptures are retraining our palates from what is destructive to what is really delightful. And what we think is delightful, but is really destructive. Because we have many of these reversed. Guys, this is discipleship with Jesus. He's teaching us through his word to turn what is from destructive, and even though we find it delightful, to go to what is truly delightful. Even though we may find it a drudgery at the beginning. As followers of the risen Christ, if there ha- if there are no tangible evidences in our life of turning from destruction to delight, for what we thought was delightful, to now, no, this is truly delightful. Repentance and renewing need to be at work in our lives. You remember the conversion of the Apostle Paul before he became Paul? He found delight in climbing the ladder of Judaism. He found delight in persecuting Christians. But then Jesus met him on the road and then changed him. And what he once found delightful, he found destructive. What he once loved to do, persecuting Christians, he found disgusting. And what he once found disgusting, Jesus himself, he found to live is Christ. And to die is gain. He found Christ delightful. And so I'm wondering together, where has Jesus met us on the alleyways of Ecclesiastes and meeting us to reverse our delights? Where is he meeting us under the sun right now that we would reverse our delights and what we are finding delight in that we would see it's destructive and when, what we think is a drudgery and dull that we would find super delightful? And where, do, where, does, where do you keep resisting? Where do you keep fighting him on these things? That's verse 11. Look at verse 11. The words of the wise, the, the scriptures, are like goads and like firmly fixed nails are the collected sayings. These goads were tools of a shepherd, and they were six to eight feet long sticks with a sharp end, and they were used to guide cattle, especially when they were plowing, to keep them from going to the right, to keep them from going to the left, but to keep going straight to keep going the way they need to go, and to keep going. So they get tired, or they get lazy, or they start going slow. And the, the shepherd, the farmer, just give it hey, just a little tap. Ah, it's going to the left. uh-uh, Just a little sharp hit. Oh, no, no. That, that's all it would take. And the Bible is now saying, this book, and all of God's word, these are gracious goads to us. Chapter after chapter, Solomon has been setting up goads and we're feeling them. Even this morning and all throughout, anytime you read God's word, when there's this uncomfortable feeling when you read the Bible, when you're hearing Solomon or you're reading the scriptures throughout the week and something strikes your heart, these are goads from God's word nudging you, nudging us to stay the course. No, no, don't go to the right matters. No, no, don't go, don't go to the left. you got to come back. When you read, forgive one another as God in Christ forgave you, and there's this, oh, it's a goad from the Holy Spirit. When you hear, serve one another, love one another, let no unwholesome words come out of your mouth, but only that which is fit for building up, and give grace to those who hear. And you're a gossiper, and you read that, and there's a, it's the Holy Spirit just going, hey, this way, not that way, this way reminding us to stay the path, to not get complacent, to not get lazy, but to, but to run the race and to, and to pursue godliness because goading and godliness go together. Ungodly lives are ungodly lives. Godliness leads to godliness. I got a lot more of these phrases. I, just, I got ham, handfuls of them. When we neglect God's word, we're numbing ourselves to its effects. We're distancing ourselves from it. And the results are destructive. An ungoaded cattle is destructive. And so too, ungoaded believers, we're destructive. And I think one reason why we neglect God's word and why we don't go to God's wisdom as quickly as we could, and we didn't read it as much as we wanted to this week. And we're not going to read it as much as we thought we would this week. One reason why is because we think it's all goads. And we're tired of getting goaded. We know we need it a little, but it's all goats. I don't want to go to it. I'm tired of getting hit again and again and again. If that were the case, I wouldn't want to read the Bible either. And neither would David. And neither would the Apostle Paul. And neither would any of believers in the whole universe, would they want to read the Scriptures if it were only goats. But brothers and sisters, it is not just goats. It is more than that. The Bible uses a ton of metaphors for what it is. It's a sword. It's sweeter than honeycomb. So we need to burn down that view that the Bible's just goads, I'm sick of reading it, blah, blah, blah. No, look at what else the Bible says it is. Yes, it is goads, verse 11. And like nails firmly fixed are the collected sayings. And that word nail is actually the same Hebrew word for the piece of iron that would be at the tip of a goat. So Solomon's bridging these pictures together. Yes, it is the go that keeps us staying the path, but it is also this nail firmly fixed, bringing stability into our lives, bringing wisdom and reliable strength and a refuge for our minds and our hearts and our emotions. That re- one reason why we get so wobbly in our lives is because we're not going to the nails that are firmly fixed, but we're going to our own wisdom that is wishy-washy, That is not built upon a rock, but is nothing but sinking sand. That God's word doesn't shift. It doesn't change. It can withstand the shifting weather patterns of our culture. Because it's locked in, it's stable, it's immovable. And our hearts and our minds and our souls, our emotions, they find rest and security and comfort in the firmly fixed nature of God's word. As our lives are not firmly fixed, they feel like this is changing and I gotta let go, and my, my kids are you know, graduating college and they're getting married, and they're, I, I, all these things are changing in our lives. But God's Word is always that nail, firmly fixed, that rock, our refuge. Solomon's telling us with these two word pictures that God's Wisdom is directive, it's the goat, go this way, and it's dependable. It gives us guidance through the goads, and it guards us through being a nail firmly fixed, bringing stability to our lives. It adjusts us through the goads, but then it anchors us. In verse 12, my son, beware. When the Bible says beware, we should always lean in and go, okay, I need to really listen to this. Because the Bible doesn't just throw words around. This is intentional. This is a great danger for every single one of us. My son, beware of anything beyond these Of making many books, there is no end. And a much study is a weariness of the flesh. So he's saying, beware of going beyond the word of God. He doesn't mean don't read other books. He doesn't mean don't listen to friends and Christian community. Of course he doesn't mean that. Because we know the Apostle Paul, I mean, he read Greek philosophers. So we know that's not what he means. He means, don't think there'll be anything more powerful and more motivating in your life than God's wisdom. Don't go looking for other goads. Don't go banking your life on other firmly fixed nails. Don't look for other ultimate authoritative voices and motivations and controlling figures in your life than the word of God. Have no other goads before him. There's, beware, anything beyond these, of making many books, there is no end. There are unceasing, competing voices vying for your attention, vying for your submission, and vying for you to have allegiance to them. Well, I saw on Facebook that it said, what what does the Bible say? Well, Matt Walsh says, no, what does the Bible say? Well, Jeff Metter said, no, what does the Bible say? The Supreme Court said, Bible. Beware of anything beyond these. Everything else is open to scrutiny, except the word of God. I'm open to scrutiny. Your mission community is open to discernment. Beware of going beyond the word of God. Because notice where these goats and where these firmly fixed nails, notice where they come from. Look at verse 11, the end. They are given by one shepherd. Who is the shepherd? It's the first time he's mentioned throughout the whole book. It's not Solomon. Because what has he been referring to himself as? The preacher. The preacher says this, the preacher says this, but now he says the shepherd. So Solomon knows I am not the shepherd, I'm the preacher. Because he knows beyond the preacher, beyond what he is saying, there is one. They are coming from the shepherd, the Lord himself. Solomon even knows that as I'm saying these things, these are ultimately coming from God himself, the Lord. As the psalmist says, the Lord is my shepherd, and he leads me besides the waters. He makes me lie down in green pastures. So when we hear Solomon, when we hear anything in the scriptures, we are hearing our shepherd. When we read and enjoy any part of God's word, we are hearing the voice of our shepherd, King Jesus. Because do you remember what, we go back to Paul's conversion moment, you know, do you remember what Jesus said to him? Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And what else? Why do you kick against the goads? So here's Solomon saying, the words of the shepherd are like goads. And then you have Jesus saying at Paul's conversion, here is the word in flesh saying, You can't kick against the goats. You can't kick against me. Follow me, Saul. Follow my word. Listen to my voice. So Solomon is saying the Lord is the shepherd. The Lord is the one who is speaking to us from his word. And it is by divine design that the Son of God, very God himself, would take up the name shepherd for himself as he does in John chapter 10. Listen to to what Jesus says in John 10 I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He was a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, I lay down my life for the sheep and I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen. Listen. They will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock with one shepherd. Solomon says, don't go beyond the words of the shepherd. And Jesus says, my sheep listen to my voice. Jesus is the shepherd, the one, the the ultimate one who laid down his life for us, dying in our place for our sins, and who rose again from the dead and ascended to the right hand of the Father, and now he leads us through his scriptures. And notice what Jesus said from John 10, what his sheep do. They do two things. They know him, and they listen to his voice. This is really the entire Christian life. If you boil it down, this is the entire Christian life, that we know him because he knew us, And we listen to his voice. We know there are other voices under the sun. Other talking heads, other teachers, all kinds of things. But we hear the shepherd in the scriptures. We listen to his voice. And Jesus leads us by the Holy Spirit through the Holy Scripture. He is the shepherd with goads in his hand of God's word. And he is the carpenter building his church through nails firmly fixed This is discipleship under the sun with the son of God. Learning from him what is delightful from his word. Learning from him what is destructive and listening to his voice. And listen to what our shepherd through Solomon says the whole task of life is. This is really where the whole book has been trending and and been heading. So what is the point of life under the sun? What are we here for? What are we meant to do now? Why was I born? What is my purpose? What is my calling? What am I meant to do at my job and in my house and with my friends and in my community and in this church? What is my whole purpose from birth certificate to death certificate? What shall I do, Lord? After all of his writing in this book, here's his conclusion. Verse 13. The end of the matter, the conclusion, all has been heard. Here it is. Fear God. And keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. This is your whole task. Fear God and keep his commandments. This is life. Follow God. Revere him. Follow him. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And obey his word. Love your neighbor as yourself. Follow him and do what he says. This is nothing earth shattering. I feel like this is almost kind of a, in one sense, almost kind of like an anticlimactic ending. We've been going through all this like, neat stuff about life under the sun and realities. and new. I know some of you have said, man, new ways of thinking about my life. And then we come to the end. Okay, what is it, Solomon? Fear God, do what he says. I've heard that before. I want something new. I want a new insight. I want a new spin. The problem is we don't need a new spin. We need what we already know, and what we often forget. The point of our lives, what we are to do under the sun until the Lord descends from the clouds. Fear the Lord and obey his commandments. This is life. And as we've said before, listen, to fear God. We don't really have an equivalent English word for the Hebrew concept of, of fear. It does not mean to be afraid of God. As Christians, we have nothing to be afraid about in God. The fear of God, one way we could say it, is the fear of dishonoring God. It's an underlying and overarching concern and conviction in the Christian's life to now want to live for the glory of God. The fear of God is now meant to be the, kind of the rebar of the Christian life spread throughout our lives, giving us conviction, giving us support, and giving us a, a spine, and holding us together, all empowered by the Holy Spirit. And one of the things we have to see in the Bible Belt is that our doctrine and our, our truth, these are not just stowed away in our lives. It's, we think about this about doctrine a lot. Well, I have this doctrine, I have this thing, and it's kind of stowed away, and I just have it there to prove that I'm not a heretic, or, or kinds of things. No, this is stuff on the ground, Is in the arsenal for the Christian life because the fear of God is meant to be at the control center, the mission control of your life and leading you, directing you. As Proverbs 9 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It's the start of the Christian life. It leads us in through wisdom. And the fear of the Lord motivates and protects and teaches and guides us and and leads us. And in the book of Exodus, I love this. You remember when Pharaoh said, I want all Hebrew babies, I want them killed. But the Hebrew midwives didn't do it. That's why Moses lived. And the Bible says why the Hebrew midwives did not listen to Pharaoh. Exodus 1. But the midwives feared God. It did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them and let the male children live. So, they, Pharaoh gives them an edict, something to do, and they say, No, because the fear of God is the rebar of our lives, and I will only do what honors the Lord. So, the fear of God is not just some distant, abstract value in our lives, it is on the ground, impacting and leading our decisions to love our neighbor as ourselves and, and to do what is right and, and to stand up for evil and to even stand up against. Things in the culture that are sinful and that hurt other people and to stand up for pro-life causes. These are all motivated by the fear of God. And he makes us turn away from evil. Proverbs eight thirteen: the fear of the Lord is hatred of evil. It gives us confidence in God, Proverbs 14. In the fear of the Lord, one has strong confidence. The fear of the Lord becomes the culture of a church. It becomes kind of the whole operating system of the church as in Acts 9. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord. Walking in. It was their daily operating system. Walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. And Last one, it's a propellant for gospel mission. 2 Corinthians 5. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. The fear of the Lord motivates, impacts, directs, leads, and forms our entire life under the sun. So how do we live under the sun now? If the whole duty of man, the whole task of man, is to fear God and obey his commandments, what does this mean for my whole life now? Enjoy the strawberry birthday cake with buttercream icing. And fear the Lord and keep his commandments. Enjoy the Lego set with your kid. Fear the Lord and keep his commandments. Enjoy romance with your spouse. Fear the Lord and keep his commandments. This is the whole task of man. This means this informs all of life. It's not abstract, it's not distant, it's all of life. The fear of the Lord and the keeping of his commandments kind of become the bumpers of the bowling alley of life. Keeps you from going in the gutter. So romance doesn't get out of control because you are fearing God and keep his commandments. When you're doing the Lego set with your kid, you don't snap in anger because you fear the Lord and you want to keep his commandments. You don't gossip about a friend because you're fearing the Lord and you're keeping his commandments. You don't say evil things about rulers. You still honor the emperor, as 1 Peter says, because you fear the Lord and you obey his commandments. That's the guide for all of life through the power of the Holy Spirit. But, But what if you forget to put the bumpers up? What if you've already gutterballed multiple times in your life? That's verse 14. Verse 14, for God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. We are all in trouble in a sense. God will bring every deed into judgment, every single one whether good or evil, even secret things, even things that your spouse doesn't know about, that your friends don't know about. God says, judgment, all of them. From the moment of our birth to this very moment, none of us has always feared God perfectly. None of us has always kept his commandments. We have all fallen short. We have all sinned. We have all jumbled our delights. Every single one of us. And God is going to bring them into judgment. Which is why we have and why we need a substitute. Why we need someone who says, I will stand in the place of judgment for him. I will stand in the place of judgment for her. I will stand in their place. Well, we have a savior and a redeemer in Jesus of Nazareth. Because he is the only one who succeeded in fearing God his entire life under the sun. He is the only one who succeeded in keeping all of the commandments of God and his life under the sun. We failed, and we still fail, but Jesus didn't. And then at the cross and his dying our death, he died for our not fearing God. He died for our not keeping of the commandments. And then, by faith and by trust in Him alone, He gives us His fearing of God. He gives us His obeying of God's commandments. And so that now, when God the Father looks at us, He sees there's Jeff Matters, and now He is someone who has feared Me His whole life, even though I haven't. But it's because of Christ. There is someone who has kept all of my commandments his entire life, even though I haven't. But Jesus says, he's now covered with me. He is united with me. He is mine. That's why he is our faithful high priest. He is our advocate and our mediator between us and God the Father. Friends, this is Christianity. Not just the beginning of Christianity. I mean, this is the whole thing of Christianity. We are Christians because Jesus feared God perfectly, not because we try to. We are Christians because Jesus obeyed the commands of God, not because we try to. I am not a Christian because I want to try to fear God, but because Jesus did it for me, and I believe he did. And we are still Christians today, even though we do sin and even though we still fail to fear God appropriately in our lives, and even though we still fail to obey his commandments, even this day, we are still Christians because Jesus has not failed. Because He is alive and well in the heavenly places. And we are given what is his. This is what it means to be a Christian under the sun. So how do we live this verse then? So how do we live What's still the whole task of man, to fear God and keep his commandments. Since Jesus did it for us, it would mean, okay, well, just cut this out. i just gonna scratch that out. I don't have to do that. Jesus did it. Who cares? No. So now what? We can read this verse and really every verse in the whole Bible that's about obedience. We see it as fulfilled in Christ. Never say anything evil. Okay. I didn't. I, I failed that. But Jesus didn't. He did it for me. So does that mean I'm off the hook now? No, no, no. Don't lust. Jesus didn't do that. He fulfilled that for me. So does that mean I'm off the hook? No. So what is this verse? And every verse really about obedience, what does it mean now? Because every time we read a verse about obeying God, we know Jesus did that. And since we are being conformed into the image of Christ, we can read Ecclesiastes 12, 13, fear God and keep his commandments. And we know Jesus did that. And since this is the image of Jesus in verse 13, and I am being transformed into the image of Jesus, this is where he's taking me. This is where he's taking me by his power and by his spirit, the good work that he began in my life, to fear God and keep his commandments. He will bring that into completion. Jesus will bring this about in our life. Since we are being made into his image, he is gently goading us there. He is gently taking us there. He is showing us nails firmly fixed to bring us there. We are relearning how to live under the sun and to hear the sun's voice and to hear our shepherd in the scriptures. And he's teaching us all along the way how to fear God. And how to keep his commandments. This is where Jesus is taking us by his power and by his grace. Because I I just won't be able to start doing this on my own. And neither will you. But only by the power of Christ, who is alive in us, will he bring this about in our lives. Because life with the Son of God, it has it has no expiration date. He undid his when he walked out of the tomb under the sun. When he rose again from the dead, he took apart the whole concept of expiration dates. And one day when the trumpet sounds and the Lord descends, we too will follow in his footsteps. We will rise from the dead and we will enjoy the eternal expiration dateless new earth with him forever. Under the sun, church, fear God. Listen to the shepherd. Obey his word, trust him, follow him. For this is the whole task of man under the sun. Let's pray together.